0: What's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and it's the Center from Reality Podcast. Sorry, starting much, much later than usual. I won't go into all the details, but I was trying to get logic going, which I usually record my audio episodes on if I'm not doing the video episode. And uh, it was doing that thing where you're trying to load it, and it was just bouncing. It wasn't actually going into the program, so I had to restart the computer a few times. Started late because of some other obligations, but here we are. State of the Union starts in about 10 minutes, so I'm not going to say too much about what I was going to say about the State of the Union, just because I'm now behind in time. So whatever I say could be incorrect by the time I say it. So the one thing I will say is that CNN reported this morning that ahead of Biden's State of the Union address, Speaker Kevin McCarthy warned members during a closed-door meeting to behave themselves, reminding them that the mics are hot and the cameras are on. And I guess Elise Stefanik, one of my least favorite human beings in the GOP, also issued a similar warning. Now, some people are like, oh, it's McCarthy telling them to be decent. No, he's not telling them to be decent. They don't want any more bad optics. And he doesn't want the nutbags like Gosar and Bear, Bobert, Bobert, whatever you want to call her, and Marjorie Taylor Greene screaming at Biden during the event because it just makes them look bad. And I think somewhere down there, Kevin McCarthy, there's a kernel of sensibility left in him that he knows they're all just completely jokes and... The mics are hot, and <laughs> that is true. But anyways, I'm curious if the crazies will actually listen to him. Are they going to embarrass him? To be honest, like I'm okay if the crazies go crazy, because to me, the State of the Union's outdated. It's boring. It's all optics. Biden's not really the best speaker anyways. So, look, if Lauren Boebert starts screaming at him again, go for it, because... I'm all about just seeing the optics go bad for the GOP, and I'm kind of down for them embarrassing McCarthy because he's been an embarrassment in a lot of ways, and, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens there. So, you know, let's bring it on. Maybe George Santos will come up and talk about how he was an astronaut at some point or something. I don't know. Anyway, State of the Union, I will probably watch a live stream by another podcast I like to, you know, get a few insights from it, but... I always say you can pretty much read in a couple paragraphs all the highlights the next day. So that's kind of where I'm at with the State of the Union, more or less. Today I want to talk about the Chinese surveillance balloon, weather balloon, if you're the Chinese, whatever. And I want to talk about just for a little bit the reaction by the right-wing media, right-wing politicians, because it's kind of a masterclass in disinformation, propaganda, and just shifting the narrative to completely make the Democrats look bad at all times then i want to get into santos george santos striking again and how just pathetic this guy is and just kind of how it's 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 another masterclass in tribalism and sticking to your tribe and then i also do want to touch on that devastating and tragic earthquake out of uh, southwest turkey northwest syria because it's a real real tragedy with probably probably by the time i'm recording this close to 10,000 people dead and Tens of millions impacted, so really, really tragic. But anyways, before we get into the tragedy, the, the balloon was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean. I talked about this a little bit on Saturday. I didn't think we really needed to, but if we did, I'm glad we waited till it was over the ocean. Because can you imagine, Just just, just imagine this for a second, if Biden decided they wanted to just blow it out of the air the first time they saw it, What if it goes down over Montana and kills like three people? Can you imagine what people would be saying then? So I'm glad they waited at least, but it's becoming more and more clear that Republicans are just willing to spin this narrative in pretty much any way possible. They clearly have no actual standard for what they wanted to happen here because it's clear that all that matters to them is that Biden can't do anything right, and they want to lie to their base, the Fox News viewers, the OAN viewers, all of these people. They just want to lie to them about it and make a point. And first, you know, it's been really fascinating if you like turned on Fox News over the weekend or listened to, like, the Ted Cruz's and the Newt Gingriches and whoever else there is. It was interesting because, first, they condemned Biden for not shooting it down. Dan Crenshaw was kind of in this group. Like, Biden's being weak. He hasn't shot it down yet. Then, once they did shoot it down... He didn't do it fast enough. And now they're like, he shouldn't have shot it down. So, you know, we've just been seeing this complete pretzel of logic that's entertaining to see, but also just irritating because over the weekend, I went out and talked to some people at the place we went out to. And, you know, one of the guys was already echoing the talking points that I'm sure the Sean Hannity's and the Maria Bartiromo's and all them are echoing, which are Biden's weak, China's thinks we're weak we didn't shoot it down fast enough blah 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 it's like this is this is reminding me of obama again where no matter what the president does these crazies are just going to spin it and use it as propaganda and they're doing that again there's a few there's a few examples that I'll just touch on ted cruz <laughs> ted cruz was on the news <laughs> and he said he he is one of the ones who was glad biden did it But then his spin on it was that he didn't think Biden's heart was in it. So Biden did it, but he didn't really want to do it. And, okay, guys, look, like, I don't think Ted Cruz is, like, the whisperer of Joe Biden. I don't think he knows exactly what Joe Biden wants here. But either way, it doesn't really matter if Biden's heart was in it or not because they did it, and they did it in a safe way, and they are now going to find out what was on the balloon. And, again, three— a balloon the size of sc- uh, three school buses, heavy, like the size of a jet engine, plane, or a jetliner. That thing would have been dangerous to just fly down on a farm in Iowa. So, yeah, Ted Cruz's issue is that Biden's heart wasn't in it. Then if you go to Maria Bartiromo, who does that Sunday Futures show on Fox or Fox Business, I don't even know which one. I I don't hate myself enough to watch it. Sometimes I like to watch Tucker Carlson just to kind of just look into the void. But Maria Bartiromo's, I, I can't handle her, and... She has this really interesting conspiracy that really is insane. (laughs) And she is mad, or at least questioning it. She's just asking questions about why did Biden's administration shoot down this balloon? Because what if when it exploded, there were all these microchips powered by solar energy that then could disperse across the United States and spy on us using solar energy? She's just curious if maybe Biden is helping the Chinese and now they can really spy on us. And I mean, I guess if you don't use your brain and you just kind of stare into the void, maybe this makes sense. But there's just so many ironies to this one because I thought solar power, like Fox News is so anti-EVs. They're anti-wind. They're anti-solar. But apparently the solar powered microchips or whatever from this downed balloon can last indefinitely. I don't understand how that works because I thought solar power doesn't work. But anyways, that's, that's her theory there is that this solar power is going to be used to spy on us. Also, there's just the point of they shot it down in the ocean. So I'm not an expert on this, but I feel like solar powered microchips that are underwater might have some issues doing the spying. So Also, if you just watch the video, it doesn't look like a bunch of microchips went all over the place. So, (sighs) yeah. Um, Marco Rubio, he first said China did this because they know Biden is weak and they could get away with it. I think he was on Meet the Press, I want to say. He was on one of those Sunday shows I don't watch. But I watched a clip of him and... Yeah, he was on a rant about how China did this because they just knew that Biden was weak. Now, side note, later we found out that China did this multiple times under the Trump administration, but that doesn't matter because Marco Rubio, I think the most accurate name of Trump's 2016 campaign was Little Marco because Marco Rubio really is a little man. But anyways, China, Marco Rubio argues China did this only because Biden was there. They knew he wouldn't do anything about it. And then during the interview, the person who's talking to him is like, no, that's right. It was on ABC. Jonathan Carl, that's right. Jonathan Carl goes, but he did shoot it down. And then Marco goes into this mumbo jumbo of of like, well, we did it too late, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's like these people don't know what they want. Newt Gingrich now, who was an expert in the nineties, he's been out of office for a while. Newt Gingrich said something about basically he thought we could go up. Now, remember this balloon was at 60 plus thousand feet. He says, "Why couldn't we go up there and excavate parts of it and take them back for research?" He's like, "I'm sure we can do that." Now, I haven't heard of the ability for us to go up over sixty thousand feet to take pieces away from a balloon that weighs the same as like three school buses. I could be wrong, but again, Newt Gingrich is not really the expert on these affairs that I would be just saying we need to follow him no matter what. But that's where we're at. Newt Gingrich is a joke, by the way. Anyway, like I, I like how some people think he balanced the budget and kept Clinton in his tracks. No, he was the beginning of the insanity. And then the last thing I'll say about this too is that similar balloons, apparently the Pentagon said this, and I, I do trust the Pentagon more than like Ratcliffe and Trump and Pompeo and these other people that have gone out of their way to now defend Trump. But the Pentagon has said that during the Trump administration, there were multiple, I think it was three, similar balloons that were reported flying over the United States. Now, Trump has said that would have never happened under his watch. That's all lies. These balloons didn't happen. He knew nothing about them. And to be honest, I think he's probably not lying, at least about not knowing about them. Because to me, it seems like no one told him. But then you had, like, Radcliffe, who is a nightmare, what, National Security Director and apparently he went on and said he knew nothing about this either. He was on Fox News talking about this. He said it's all propaganda. This never happened. And Pompeo has had similar words to say about this. And I'm not surprised Trump didn't know. I'm sure they kept this from him. But I'm also kind of thinking that Ratcliffe and Pompeo and others might not have known that much about it either. And that kind of worries me because it shows a lot of incompetence. And the thing is, the Biden administration, within a couple days, shot down the balloon. The Trump administration apparently had more than one flying over the United States and didn't even do anything or maybe even know about it. So you guys tell me which one is worse. Again, I don't really think the Biden administration needed to shoot it down, but they did. It's over. And I, I they obviously know more than me on this, so good for them. Now, the last thing I'll say is, Well, I mean, I I guess I'll just say that it's it's just kind of crazy how the right is trying to just spin this to make Biden look bad. Like, there's a lot of issues I have with Biden. This is not one of them. But the last thing I'll say is that China is now in full crisis mode. And I think the Chinese really made a mistake by doing this. I don't really think they were trying to do anything nefarious, to be honest. Like, they use satellites to do this stuff. They spy on us. We spy on them, like I said on Friday last week. I think this was a huge mistake, a miscalculation. I've talked also about how Xi is pretty isolated compared to other leaders. And I think that this might have just happened. And we really don't need to freak out too much about it. But I am worried going off of that about this escalatory rhetoric towards China that we're seeing in D.C. I think we need to tame this down just a bit because one of the only bipartisan issues right now is that we're all fine that we shot this down. And okay, that's okay if we... If we're fine then we shot this down. but we also need to remember that we don't want to just start like kind of going guns a blazing towards our rhetoric towards China because even though I think China doesn't have a long time left as a superpower, they're still you know a very powerful nation at this time, and they do have technology in some regards that I've heard about that does trump ours, not not always as effective or efficient as ours, but they would not be someone I'd want to get into a worse issue with so and it's not really a good sign because according to reports from NBC News after the US destroyed the suspected spy balloon i guess uh, i guess china declined washington's request for a call between secretary of defense lloyd austin and his counterpart who is the minister of national defense who's wei feng and I mean, it's just never good because in these type of situations, I think you want the military on both sides of whatever's happening to at least be in communication. Like even if like Qi is calling out Biden and Biden's calling out Chi, you do want the heads of the military to be in some sort of communication. So it's not really promising to me that they're not, but it's just interesting that this balloon is kind of just um, literally floating in all of the news right now. And we'll have to see, but all I can advise you guys is don't take too much, I guess take everything with a grain of salt from what the Republicans are saying, because they're changing like the wind, and it's getting kind of exhausting. Moving on, um, I don't know if you guys have heard much about the AR-15 pin saga in the House, but basically... A lot of Republicans in the House are now wearing AR-15 pins on their suits in place of American flags. In theory, I don't care. But the background here is that Andrew Clyde, who's a Republican congressman that was at one time a gun dealer, I guess he's gifting them to members of the House to kind of show their allegiance to the murder weapon. And it seems to me like he's just passing them out like a party favor at a five-year-old's birthday party you know those birthday parties maybe you went to where the kid didn't maybe have a lot of friends but the mom invited a lot of people and then like they have really cool gifts that they're giving out to all the kids to kind of make the kids want to come back to the next birthday party well it sounds kind of like that here is where like all the kids are getting gifts all the kids are getting gifts to show that they enjoyed the party and so now this lovely guy uh, Andrew Clyde is a Winning them over with these pins. And Charlie Sykes writes in the bulwark here, Representative George Santos and Representative Anna Paulina Luna have been wearing lapel pins featuring the weapon of mass destruction, which they apparently got from the gun dealer turned congressman, Andrew Clyde. Another writer in the bulwark, Sonny Bunch, I believe it was who wrote this, says in quotes, The choice of the AR-15, oh sorry, Will Bunch, um, writes here, The choice of the AR-15 pin is on brand for a nihilistic party that prides deadly individualism over problem solving. Imagine members strutting around the quarters of Congress in late 2001 with a Boeing 747 lapel pin or wearing a spiky replica of the coronavirus when New York City's morgues were overflowing in the spring of 2020. Explain to me how worshiping an AR-15, when the bloodstains are still being scrubbed off of a dance studio in Monterey Park, club q in colorado springs or a bus in charlottesville is any different really and i mean look i mean i don't know if the comparison is perfect but it, it does make sense like it, it's literally just like a big mother like fuck you to the left right they just want to troll the left just a big middle finger and it is a weapon that has caused a lot of pain and harm to people's lives and i've talked about this before, that I think some of the extreme gun rights that we have in this country are negative liberties, where it's liberty for you, but it puts other people's lives at risk, and it seems like these Republicans are just saying, like, we like this, and we don't care about the death, and it's a great point from the bulwark there, and moving on, the reason I started with this, because, I mean, first off, it's just interesting, because George Santos is rocking one of these lapel pins, and I don't like to stereotype or assume things but i this just doesn't seem like the guy who's a gun aficionado by any means like he just doesn't give me those vibes i could be wrong but he just seems like a guy who believes in anything and goes with anything and i think he is just trying so damn hard to now be part of the team he really wants to fit in he's scandal like his life is just a scandalous chaotic affair and he wants to be part of the tribe and it seems to be working Back to the Morning Shots article from Charlie Sykes, he, he seems to agree with what I'm saying here, because he writes basically about how Santos is involved in so many scandals that he, in quotes, desperately needs a tribe, because political tribes provide protection. And I think that is so true, and it is interesting how you hear Tucker Carlson wondering why everyone's criticizing DeSantos, you, or sorry, DeSantos, Santos. Santos. And then you see, like, Santos kind of slowly getting absorbed into the GOP. It's kind of happening again. And, you know, unfortunately for Santos, he really is going to need protection from his party, which nothing would surprise me anymore that I think he will probably get that protection. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Yes, they're, like, McCarthy said they will launch an ethics committee probe into him. Yes, he stepped down from his committees, but then you have to ask, like, why did they give him power to these committees in the first place? His voters, like McCarthy says, well, the people spoke and they voted for this guy and we have to put him in committees. But it's like the, he lied to the people. The people voted for an idea that doesn't exist. The people voted for a guy who is not existent. And the fact that they've kind of just absorbed him is not surprising to me. But now CNN does report, I think it was earlier today, in quotes here, New York Republican Representative George Santos is expected to face an investigation from the Health Ethics Committee, a probe that could derail his already imperiled political career, depending on the secretive panel's findings. And, you know, I've covered extensively all the different things that could happen. I don't think the lies are going to do it. I do think that, like, where the money is coming from is probably going to be his downfall. Now, I should also note that another thing that's coming up, which is a problem for him, is that uh, a prospective staffer has filed a complaint accusing George Santos of sexual harassment. And CNN writes here, A former prospective staffer to Santos said he filed a police report and House ethics complaint alleging that the freshman congressman made an unwanted sexual advance toward him during a private encounter in his office and was later denied employment there. And Santos has, of course, said he 100% denies the allegations, called these comical, and... I mean, I mean I, first off, I don't trust anything this guy says, so totally makes sense. The other thing is, is that the individual Derek Myers alleges that Santos touched him on January 25th, I believe in his office, which is kind of bold for a guy who's been so scandal ridden for him just to like blatantly do this in his office. It's disturbingly impressive, disturbingly shameless. I... again, I don't really know what'll bring this guy down, but like I was talking about with the mash slap stuff last week, when Trump does it to a woman, it seems to be okay. But now when it's a man doing this to another man, we know the GOP's new focus on homophobia and trans issues. So I wonder if this is how they get rid of him. Because let's remember, there's been photos of George Santos taking photos with Marjorie Taylor Greene and laughing. But we have to remember that like Pretty much the Republicans are spending most of their time atta- like attacking trans bills and drag queen story hour. I mean, that's what the Santos is doing in, George- I mean, in Florida mainly. And so you do wonder how long this guy lasts when all these things keep coming out, that he's a drag queen, maybe he's sexually harassing other men. It seems like this guy is kind of everything antithetical to what their rhetoric is about the culture war right now, so... I don't know it's it's kind of interesting to see that this guy is holding out and that the party's backing him of course they need him but he's going to be a thorn in mccarthy's side i think and i i think i think this goes one of two ways is they try to get rid of him or they try to use him and i would probably go with the with the latter so last but probably most important i wanted to start by going over this just tragic and devastating series of earthquakes or i guess earthquake and then aftershock that hit southern turkey and northern syria early monday morning sunday for us i guess and i'll just start by saying that really this couldn't have happened in a worse part of the country right now and that's not me saying that oh it would be better if it happened somewhere else it's more that just like this is a place that's already had so much tragedy violence economic issues refugee crises etc that i can't think of a worse place but Anyways, I just want to put all of this into perspective and then explain like what's next and why this is bad. To put a number on this, at the time of recording this podcast, over 7,300 people have been reported dead and that's by officials from both governments. Now, I would just assume that these numbers are going to be way higher by the time this podcast came out and just in general because if you just think about it, that's what they've like estimated slash calculated so far. Also, reports show that close to 25 million people have been impacted, which is just insane. And that's probably why at this time, President Erdogan, Recep Erdogan of uh, Turkey, has declared a state of emergency for the next three months. Tells me this is going to be a lot of time of grieving, rebuilding, searching, just dealing with this crisis, and pretty tragic. Also... Those death tolls are just devastating. That is just a shit ton of people. I can't even really fathom it, especially from just, like, one event. And I can't imagine, especially, like, in northern Syria, how many people might have died just because the quakes occurred in some of the parts of Syria that are still rebel-controlled. And I'm sure they're just brushing the surface in other parts as well. Also, you have to think that, like, northern Syria has crumbling infrastructure from the Civil War, lack of transparency... Like, it's truly horrific. And then, of course, southern Turkey is one of the poorest parts of Turkey. And, you know, people are just, in, just intensely suffering. And I, I think this reminds me, too, that <clears throat> earthquakes are one of the more troubling forms of disasters because they're just so hard to predict. The Atlantic had a good article today on this that really just got me thinking about just how true that is. There's a really good article that writes here in quotes, This will happen again and again. And again, earthquakes, more so than many other types of geologic or environmental disasters, defy prediction and prevention. Hurricanes can be identified many days before they arrive, giving coastal communities time to evacuate. And you it really does make you think, Is like sometimes you can kind of know something's going to happen, but yes, other forms of natural disasters, there's at least some warning. Here people were sleeping, and then all of a sudden, bam, this happens. And I'll get into why that uncertainty and the lack of knowing ahead of time has made this even worse. But I I guess I never really thought about that, about how bad earthquakes can really be, especially in parts of the world where infrastructure is bad and resources are bad. And anyways, I read, I think it was yesterday, that this was one of the largest disasters ever in the region and the largest one since back in 1939 – The New York Times writes here in quotes, shortly after 4 a.m. local time on Monday came Turkey's strongest quake in more than 80 years, followed hours later by an unusually powerful aftershock. And I think that unusually powerful aftershock is just more awful luck for what happened here. And if you look at a map, it was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake, which happened near um, Gaziantep, Turkey. I'm probably mispronouncing that, so I highly apologize. But it's just basically north of the Syrian border, so like I said, southwest Turkey. So you can understand why it, you know, covered that whole region. Then you had an aftershock happen a bit north of Gaziantep. And that was a 7.5 magnitude aftershock. So you have a 7.8 magnitude earthquake followed by a 7.5 magnitude aftershock. I mean, that's horrendous. It's basically like two of the same earthquake happening back to back. And the New York Times has a good article on this, and it writes here in quotes, The area was vulnerable to a major earthquake. Older buildings with concrete frames are common, and in northern Syria, infrastructure was already fragile after years of bombardments. And basically, as I've already said, the qu- the, the quakes literally like, hit the worst possible places. Places just perfect for massive destruction and tragedy. And from what I've read, just in Turkey, the earthquake destroyed thousands of buildings, including dozens of hospitals. And even this historic castle that was like 2,000 years old. And I think it's easier to get information out of Turkey than out of Syria just because of the situation on the ground in the parts of Syria that got hit. And then, then it gets into the weather situation, which is why I say because earthquakes are unpredictable, people weren't, weren't prepared for this. Like, again, going back to the hurricane analogy here is that if you have a hurricane, usually there's a heads up so you can get out if you're going to or at least have some preparation if a really cold winter storm's coming, there's usually some preparation. Here, there was none. And to make this the situation even more difficult, more time-sensitive, I've seen that temperatures are near freezing, snow is on the forecast, and like I alluded to earlier, this is all compounded by the fact that when the earthquake hit, people were asleep and were not prepared for the cold. So now hypothermia is a serious concern, and... I guess the problem here is that rescuers need to be fast, very fast, because it's not going to be a lot of time to save people, especially with colder weather on the horizon. And from my understanding of a lot of these rescues, is most rescues to find people still alive happen within two to three days. It's a very small window, and it, com- it completely makes sense. So the window of time to save people is running out. And <clears throat> I think I've saw there's, I've seen, sorry, there's about, I think it's close to like twenty thousand workers and aid workers in the area trying to get this resolved but time is not on anyone's side and I mean not to be too gloomy but I think we could all kind of assume that the numbers are just going to keep going up right and there are several factors here that I want to get into one by one to why I think this is even worse down the road Uh, the crisis one that comes to mind is Syria's civil war So the region of northern Syria that was hit by the earthquake includes Aleppo, which I've talked about involving what Russia did to Aleppo and Assad's forces. Aleppo, historically beautiful city, but also one of the cities that was almost completely leveled by Assad's forces with Russian aid. And so this is a region that was already not being rebuilt, and there's a spokesman for the International Rescue Committee and he said anywhere else in the world this would be an emergency. What we have in Syria is an emergency within an emergency. And it totally makes sense if you just think of also the fact <clears throat> here that Assad's forces and, you know, the Syrian government are still at some some semblance of a civil war against rebel groups. And some of these rebel groups are in the area. So then you have to question, is aid going to actually go to this part of the country when maybe they're in contrast with what the government agrees with, and they see these people as enemies, so that gets complicated as well. And it's really quite tragic when you think about it. Um, I mean, I, I encourage people to look up pictures of Aleppo uh, and an earthquake in other, and other and other cities there as well. But Aleppo is the one I think most Westerners are familiar with. And Aleppo, I, I think the last thing Aleppo needed was a giant devastating earthquake. Now, the second crisis is, is the refugees. Compounding the Syrian civil war is the crisis that followed involving refugees, right? Like, of course, they talk about the tens of thousands that went to places like Germany and France, got the far populist right really going. That's always what been kind of it's kind of contributed to a lot of the zealous right-wing Christian thought in a lot of the world is the refugee crises that followed the Syrian civil war. But we also have to remember that while, like, Germany and France are bitching about refugees, Turkey hosted close to three and a half million of them. And this was huge, and I think something that was really important, and I always applaud the Turkish people, even though I'm very against Erdogan for a lot of reasons. I, I think it was quite impressive that Turkey was able to do this. But the problem here is that a lot of, apparently a lot of the cities in southwestern Turkey that have been impacted by this earthquake are home to these container cities where a good percentage of some of the refugees are. And a lot of them are living in temporary quarters. And obviously earthquake, bad infrastructure, temporary quarters is not a good situation. And so a lot of these container cities, as they're called in The Economist, are going to become somewhat unlivable. And so then the question is, does this create a new refugee crisis or at least worsen the one that we're seeing right now? So that's the second crisis on the horizon here and the third one is one that I think impacts both countries differently but I guess somewhat similarly at the same time and that's the economy so I mean the Syrian economy is awful really bad like there's just no way to get around it is this is really not a good thing for the Syrian economy so and, and it's even harder when you have a civil war going on and historic cities destroyed but looking at Turkey more for this one Turkey is one of the most inflationary related issues in the world right now. As I've talked about on the podcast, as I'm sure a lot of you are aware, in other parts of the world, the central banks have kind of just attempted to repress demand by increasing interest rates, right? You're trying to get people to spend less to try to get rid of inflation. It's kind of one economic theory for this. But in Turkey, they have actually kept interest rates almost almost at zero, and potentially negative. And so Turkey's done the opposite thing that a lot of other central banks have done. And unfortunately, this has made Turkey's economy really in bad shape. And inflation has been between 50% and 90% over the last year. And this has obviously caused hardships for families, people throughout the country, and This earthquake is going to make that even worse because southwestern Turkey, where the quake hit, is from a lot of different standards, one of the poorest, if not the poorest parts of Turkey. So this recent disaster is going to disrupt supply chains, let alone the infrastructure, building, job loss, etc. It's just going to make things much worse. So it's not not a good situation right now for a part of the world that really didn't need it. And. I'll end this this segment by saying, there's ways to help, of course, and uh, of course you should always be aware of scams, and I always say that money is best. Uh, I'll I'll never forget when the war in Ukraine started. I was in a, uh, I was in a panel conversation at Northwestern with um, some nonprofits because I was I was in a nonprofit uh, workshop, and we were talking with some different charities that were helping out of Ukraine. And they were just complaining about all the teddy bears building up, right? Like, of course, it was nice to send kids teddy bears. Like, there's nothing, like, directly wrong with that. But they were talking about how, like, these people need money, um, housing, e- et cetera. And so I, I always say direct money is better than uh, sending toys or something like that. So there's a few organizations that I've heard of that I, I would probably recommend. So you have AK, AKUT. I don't know if it's pronounced coot or just AKUT. It's a Turkish NGO, non-governmental organization, that, according to its website, in quotes, is entirely a a voluntary, non-governmental organization involved in searching, assisting, and rescuing all who require aid within its authority and means in mountain or other nature-related accidents, natural disasters, and all other emergency conditions by means of trained, disciplined, highly standard personnel and equipment, passing on knowledge to society with no political uh, affiliation. And... I should just note is in very complicated regions, you don't want uh, you don't want missionaries or NGOs that are trying to get involved in politics because the politics in Turkey, the politics in Syria are very difficult, and you want groups that are just there to give aid. You don't want groups that are there to help change the politics of the situation, and so that's why usually in countries like Syria, more or less Turkey, but not quite as bad, you want Apolitical organizations. You don't want groups that are like we're here for democracy, as much as I love democracy. Um, in my nonprofit uh, programs at Northwestern, uh, we also used uh, Charity Navigator to find some good ones, and I would recommend people if you want to give or donate and if you have the means to, Charity Navigator is a really good one. My t- m- my tips from my experience uh, using Charity Navigator: donate to donate to reputable registered charities right and charity navigator is a good one to kind of show the different rankings and ratings and you know you can make sure your money's going there Like I said monetary donations are the most effective also something interesting too that I always talk about is consider giving donations to long-term recovery efforts because there's certain disaster relief groups that, Try to just send money right off front, and then it tapers off over a few weeks. So there's certain plans you can do for that. And so just a few organizations that I always uh, find reputable. Doctors Without Borders. I'm a big fan of Doctors Without Borders. Project Hope. uh, Save the Children. And uh, this was an interesting one that I did a little research on, and I I like. uh, The Syrian American Medical Society. So you can definitely find some of these. Again, the one out of Turkey that I, I've read some good things about, a, um, AKUT or A-K-U-T. If you just type that in, maybe A-K-U-T, Turkey, you will find it. So anyways, you know, it's, you know, there's just not a lot of good news around the world right now. But I guess it, it puts it all into perspective is, you know, the right wing is blaming Biden for a Chinese balloon when you have like close to 10,000 people dying from an earthquake. So Yeah, it puts it all into perspective. So anyways, um, have a great rest of your night. The State of the Union should be interesting, and uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Take care.